you think I'm here to help you get stronger because that was your goal. I'm here and I'm training you in the way so that you can do these things and you can get off the floor and you can squat over a cat hole in the mountains when you're 90. That is my goal for you. That is my vision for you, every person that I train. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyberg, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Maggie Rintala, welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I was thinking about you this week because I heard this quote and you came to mind. And the quote I heard was, people speak their truth through their actions, not necessarily their words. And I think you are such a great example of that because through your movement, if anyone ever watches your YouTube video of the Czech getup, you look at you and you're like, that woman knows how to move well. And that does not come from reading a book. So I'm so excited to have you on Muscle Medicine Podcast. That is awesome. I I feel really flattered that that quote <laughs> makes me think of me. I'm smiling really big. <laughs> <laughs> so can you give us like a little glimpse of your background? And the one of the reasons was when I was listening to other podcasts you've done, when you talk about your chronic pain, you talk about it not as, as if you're your diagnosis, but how did you keep moving through and pushing through to get to the other side? And it didn't mean just like trying one thing and then giving up. It was like kind of taking pivotal steps and really like very strategic and very also intuitive steps to heal your own body. So can you give us like a little glimpse of your background and your story? Yeah, well, I definitely, the, the chronic pain is postpartum, and I think anybody who's had kids understands that there can be two people who have, have lived two different lives. So my story postpartum has a lot to do with my transformation, and this idea of suffering comes up when you ask me this question. And it's something that I grapple with a lot with my clients because when you come to fitness, you're going to probably suffer physically. And a lot of people don't understand that they're already suffering for something. You're, there's some, there are areas in your life that things that you are doing that are causing suffering. That suffering is, you're used to it. And you've adapted to it and you've maybe made changes and sometimes changes that aren't good, like not bending your knees past 90 degrees, but there is suffering. I want and always have worked to suffer in service of something greater. And I, I don't know, part of the reason I'm grappling with this is I don't know if that's unique to you know, a certain population, if that's unique to a certain personality. I know we all suffer. 
I want us to suffer in service of who we are and who we want to be. So when I was having chronic pain, which was, I had an 18 month old little boy. He was a runner. I I had to be after him and on him all the time. So I wasn't, I did not have the time. So that suffering was painful. It changed my personality. (sighs) What was, what was the chronic pain that you were experiencing? So after the birth of Rowan, I had pubic symphysis pain that would radiate down my legs. I would roll over in bed at night and it would cause sharp shooting pains. It's very common postpartum. It's also common in soccer players. Mm-hmm. And then after a x-ray, they discovered that there was degenerative arthritis. And so I was told that that was going to be you know, my story for forever. And I would have times where I had to quit Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which was a new thing that I was really falling in love with and wanted to do because every time I would do these kind of hip movements and things, it would, it would really cause me not to be able to walk without wincing for days afterwards. And most women with pubic symphysis pain, like that pain and running usually don't happen in the same sentence. Like running or that like dynamic chase after your kid is like... I mean, it gives me a hot pills just thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It it really needed to be rested. And I was not able to do that. Able to, I didn't force myself to. So actually, thankfully, I got myself into a really tight position where I had to do something. And I had to shift funds in the family to take care of myself and find the right person and the right therapist and the right care to get myself to a place where I could care for myself. And when you talk about the, the service of something greater, was it something greater? Like your, your new, your newborn, your Yeah. My family. family. Yeah. I mean, the, the suffering that I went through changed my personality. And so then, you know, friendships started shifting and adjusting. And then I just was totally unmoored in this new place. So that gift of being able to be pushed into a really narrow window was, it was really a great opportunity. You had seen multiple people. It wasn't like the first thing you tried, you're like, okay, I'm healed. Everything's good. You're like, ah, I still like, this isn't working and I'm going to pivot and try something different. I mean, my husband is a very talented, well-known chiropractor and it's, you know, the cobbler's children have no shoes. There really, there really is a thing about trying to heal the people that are close to you. So we worked together a lot. I did a lot of DNS. And then he also showed me to physical therapists. I had pelvic floor work done. And then that led me to another therapist who did visceral work in my abdomen. And all of that got me lined up And one of the things I discovered in the visceral work was the long path before that incident. So it wasn't birth that caused this. I was born with a deformity that I adapted out of because I was a professional dancer. And so that was great for 
the leg that I was born with that was completely rotated inward. Mm. I adapted out of that. And then I had two pregnancies. I had three pregnancies, two full-term vaginal births. And then I also had a tumor. And so I had a major abdominal surgery and put all of that stuff together and you get kind of this perfect storm. So being able to unravel that perfect storm and see myself as not necessarily a project, but an ongoing evolution of a human in a body. Yeah. And I think that that word you use, like perfect storm, is so perfect because a lot of people, I think, perceive self-care, taking care of yourself, feeling better in your body, getting out of pain as like this romanticized, like now I'm going to schedule some cryotherapy. Now I'm going to schedule my pelvic floor. Like it's so romanticized and it is yes. it's struggle and it is, it is having to push through boundaries and stay present and not give up. And I think that idea of like, it's the perfect storm and how do you get to the other side of that perfect storm is like the perfect imagery. One of the people that I went to see was a talk therapist. And one of the things she said to me when I was saying about feeling all of this pressure was, you know, I'm going out and I'm, I'm taking beach walks. I'm trying to take my time. I'm trying to take care of myself. I'm getting the babysitter. And she said it was so enlightening, you know, whatever you're doing might not be having the desired effect. So maybe try something different. I was doing that thing where I do all the romanticized versions of this is what I should do. This will make me feel better. I'll get a pedicure. I don't yes. like pedicures. I hate spending the money on them. <laughs> I take care of them. They end up looking terrible. So for me, a pedicure is not self-care. And then, like you said, the flip side of that is the getting messy part the suffering in service of the greater vision of myself. I was suffering. So why not suffer for something that's going to push me into the next realization of who I am so that I can then serve my people? Yeah. So how has that evolution changed how you serve your clients, the people you train? It was really valuable because I realized how much fitness is about end result. And that end result is a physique. It is tied to what I want to look like, not who I am in the world, what my life actually is. And I, I'd really been, I kind of discovered it, that I was training my clients to become fit for who they are because they were telling me that in our work together, oh, this isn't just fitness for me. It's so much more. And I'm discovering all of these other kinds of ways that I love being in the world because I'm doing this work with you. And then when I started working with a group of eighth grade girls who are amazing, by the way, we have wonderful youth today who, who are, yes, struggling like we all did, but they are beautiful and incredible. So make friends with a teenager. It's worth it. And their parents need you to help them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure the struggles of a teenage girl is like so much more amplified than like cyberbullying and internet's like the whole 
layer of the phone is like terrifying for me. (laughs) It really is. And that's what pushed me to develop this idea of, you know, radical authentic fitness is really what I'm calling it now was working with these girls. I decided that I was not going to be a step on the ladder to becoming the perfect physical form. I was going to show them how to design moving, eating, thinking, believing about who they are in the world for them. This is you. And let me tell you, they love it. And then their moms would come to me and say, I want to do this. Nobody ever told me that, that I could you know, find ways to move that worked for me or that it was okay to have ice cream three days a week. How can we do that? How can we live that way? Yeah. I wish we had all learned that sooner. So it's so great that you're bringing it to that, that age and that population, because I remember being young and it was like, how can I get skinnier? How can I, you know, whatever it was like, it was always about thin. And then for me, after having kids, it was like, I want to be strong as fuck. I want to lift my kid. I want to run around <laughs> like skinny. It's like, if that happens, that's like an added, whatever. My, my jeans fit amazing, but it had to take 35 years to shift that perception, that, that story in my own head. So it's so yeah. great that the story can be different. Yeah. I'll speak to being strong because a lot of women are coming to me now with strength goals And there's also a disconnect for a lot of them with strength in the same way there was a lot of disconnect with us with skinny. In a lot of ways, I feel like strong is the new skinny, but skinny didn't work. Skinny was a huge problem for a lot of us. Strong is a great thing to be. And I want to know if that's working for you and you're the one who's going to have to to tell me if that's working for you. Because when I stopped weightlifting was when I finally, and I am weightlifting again now, but when I stopped and took a break from that was when I made the final stage in my healing Mm, of what I was told was chronic arthritis that would never heal. So that in, in conjunction with several other things, backing off of my strength goals, which I thought were working, but coming at it from how does this feel? It's not working for me. It's a great ideal. And I do want to be strong, but I don't want to suffer for pain. I want my movement to bring me more movement. Yeah. What you described brings up something, a thought that I saw on Instagram the other day, which was, Someone had just run the New York City Marathon. And then the next day they were posting that they were deadlifting. And it was so glorified. And I'm thinking, girl, you got to take a rest. (laughs) No matter how many marathons you've run, it's time to rest for your hormones, for your muscle, for you know what you just went through. But it was so celebrated. And it's nice that it was celebrated, but at the same time, it it felt it felt off. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel that a lot too. And I understand that I'm also 40, I'm going to be 44 next year. The changes in my body 
I'm not 20 anymore. I, I used to be able to ignore pain. A pain would come up. As a professional dancer, I was, you know, sometimes 16 hours a day of rock solid movement. You know, that would be during a show or something, but that's a lot. And I had no money. Let me tell you, there's not money in the arts period, but especially not dance. And a lot of those pains I just completely ignored and they went away and now they don't go away anymore. Yeah. So I, I see what you're saying about there's, there's something that feels off and that's what I want people to connect to. For you, you had a, you had a feeling this feels off. Okay. Well, let's look at that. It's okay for us to look at the questions that we have and not simply just chase these results, 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 results. Yeah. So, so you have a course and you have a book coming out called Radical Authentic Fitness. The book is in process. It has not purchased yet. So I am shopping that book around probably starting in the beginning of the year. And I am doing the course that I'm calling Radical Authentic Fitness, which I think will be the title of the book, fingers crossed, or something better. And more amazing. Who knows? But that's the idea is there. So, so what does that look like? Like what is, if someone is like, I'm interested in radical authentic fitness, what does it look like? It looks like becoming fit for who you are and what you want to do in the world. I think and have found in myself, but also in my clients that Fitness is this great avenue to, I mean, we live in our body, whatever we are. Some people call it a soul, a spirit, an essence. Even if you don't call it anything, something's in there. You're living in this body. So being able to make this body work the best for you. And then breaking down the truth of the fitness industry, we're we're young fitness really hasn't been a thing for that long. So we have a lot of opportunities to expand and to grow. And we're sort of in the beginning stages of that. Knowing that truth as a consumer helps you go out in the world with a, you know, the proper kind of goggles on. And then it's really the protocol of no protocol, which I've gotten a lot of kickback And I've had a lot of people not work with me because I will not give them a meal plan and an exact, you know, I have movement that I do, but I've gotten into huge arguments with other trainers and other fitness experts because I don't think you have to exercise to be fit. And that goes against a lot of what the fitness industry is selling. I, and I want to take people through that journey of being able to see how what they, the beliefs they have about what fitness is and what they're doing are connected and how we can start to triangulate the goal that we want with the action that we take and then the result that that brings. And the result should really be, how does that feel? So Radical Authentic Fitness, the course and the book are about taking that journey away from these are the exact things I do. This is how I move. This is how I eat. 
to get this specific physical result. I want people to stop having to chase this physical ideal that in a lot of ways brings us kind of shame. Mm. So for someone who is trying to create like a vision and tap into what they want that to look like, how do they break down the barriers? Because I feel like there's so much mind-body disconnect, right? How do we kind of tap into like, what does my body need so that then I can design what it needs? Wow. Well, that's why I'm writing a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> trying, to, trying to say that in a quick sentence is a great challenge. Thank you for that. I believe it starts with really understanding where it all started for us, being able to sit down together. That's one of the reasons I like the online course format is getting together with other people who want to take the same journey. And there are lots of internal work involved with that. There's some thought provoking questions that we need to answer deeply and being able to do that in a group environment is quite supportive. But what are our beliefs? And whatever they are, we can just look at them as kind of data points. If we believe that fitness is being a certain weight, okay, well, let's start there. And then let's talk about why we believe that. And is that our belief or did that come from somewhere else? And when we can break down these ideas about how we even got to where we're at, we can start to recognize the behaviors that we're doing are tied to some of those beliefs. And then when we recognize something doesn't feel well, doesn't feel good, doesn't feel right, then we can also tie that to why am I doing this? Doing this because I believe it means something. And then I can actually change that. I can change that belief. I can change that action. I can change how I feel. And that creates a whole new relationship with our body, with people around us. And um, that I think is the ultimate fitness goal. So what kind of transformations have you seen? So I'm, I'm assuming that you've taken the eighth grade women through this. Yes. So like what kind of transformations have you seen with the people, with the women you've worked with? Oh man, now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> That's okay. Let it out. <laughs> I'm crying. The most powerful thing I've seen was a young woman in my group who the cool thing about the eighth graders was that they had already done seventh grade PE and it was horrible. So they were, they were really ready for, you know, bring me something different. So I am lucky in that aspect that they were ready to receive. And in seventh grade, you have to do a one mile run and you have to do it under 12 minutes. And you and I know this, but a lot of people don't know that some people just aren't runners. It's fine. We don't all have to be runners. But in order to pass, you had to do that in under 12 minutes. That's, that's fast running for someone who likes running, <laughs> especially if you're just starting out. So she decided she hated fitness. She didn't want to do anything and 
what I helped her discover was all of the ways that she loved to move. We had an exercise where we listed all the ways we love to move and they listed everything from walking the dog to martial arts and dancing. And those are all powerful fitness tools and none of them, one person said running. We had one girl in the group who loved running. Awesome. But we are not all the same. And that test really made me angry. So that is a huge transformation for a 12-year-old girl to go from, I cannot do any physical activity to, I am a dancer athlete and I love hiking. That's to me, one of my biggest successes. And my other biggest success on the other end of the age spectrum is a grandmother who sent me a photo after probably, we probably worked together for about eight months. She sent me a photo of her pushing one of her grandchildren around in a laundry basket. And they were both laughing hysterically. She previously was one of those people who would not be able to squat. Her doctor had, her doctor told her, don't bend your knees past 90 degrees. <laughs> I know. I, I learned that one in school 15 years ago and that ends got drilled in. And then I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And now no better. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's not that might be a strategy to utilize for a time. It is not a long-term solution. Yeah. 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 I love bringing the possible to what people think is impossible. Like I have a woman, she's uh, probably in her late fifties and her um, fitness was gardening, which is great, but in New York city, um, (laughs) limiting. Yeah. Limiting. So while she was in the city four days a week, she wouldn't, she would just, I think, walk to work. And then on the weekends up in Woodstock, she would garden. And, you know, she would look at a kettlebell and be like, oh no, that's going to hurt me. And we've been working together for a while. And she just brought in a video of herself kettlebell swinging and being like, hey, can you check out my form? After, it's like, never, like I used to um, use the wheelbarrow as like a heavy carry Cause I was trying yeah. to just build it into like, how, how can she bring it into her gardening to like pack her shoulders and nice. So, and now she's kind of all swinging. I was just like, Oh, it just gives me like the chills and the tingles. Like just thinking about bringing the impossible to like, what is possible in her mindset? Yeah. My mom, the last time I was home, took me down to the barn and showed me how she lifts hay bales now, which she's five, two. And probably maybe a hundred pounds with, you know, wet clothes on. These hay bales probably weigh, gosh, they're over 50 pounds and they're big, long rectangles. And she showed me her form lifting up these hay bales. And I just thought this, this is what fitness can be. Yeah. So when I talk about what we do as a team in New York at the clinic, so much of it is about longevity without saying the word longevity. Like I want people to do whatever exercise or form of fitness they want to do till they're 80, however, however long they want to be able to do it. I just want them to not have fear doing it and I want them to be able to do it. And it's, 
it's kind of like sneaking in these little moments mm. of recovery or rehab or movement so that they can have that longevity piece. But there's, it's interesting because like longevity is not sexy. It's mm. not, I want to like work out now. So I'm amazing when I'm 80, <laughs> but yeah. I'm wondering if you had any thoughts about, you know, you're teaching these eighth grade women to start to shape their mind around what fitness looks like. Cause ultimately <laughs> if they love it, they're going to do it longer. I don't know. Yeah. I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Actually, one of the exercises that is in the course and hopefully we'll make it in the book is what do I want to be doing when I'm 80? So I asked the girls to, to journal about it and we talked about it and that we did that early on in our work together. It was like a working with the girls as a school year. So we do a lot of these things in the beginning so that they shape the thinking about fitness all the way through. And if we all did that, if we really sat and considered what do I want to be doing when I'm 80 or how long do I want to live and what's the vision that I'm going for, then, I mean, that's a, that might be a kind of easy answer. What did some of them write? Well, I'm so curious. I know, right? Some of them wrote silly things like, I want to have great style and not make weird comments. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? I mean, if you want to have great style, then you're going to have to be able to put your pants on, which means you're going to have to, you know, flex your hip, your knee, and your ankle. That's That's a fitness goal. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) But... They all said they wanted to be able to be fully active. They have this vision of either being old and not being able to move or being old and being able to do everything they can do now. And I even say to people, you think I'm here to help you get stronger because that was your goal? I'm here And I'm training you in the way so that you can do these things and you can get off the floor and you can squat over a cat hole in the mountains when you're 90. That is my goal for you. That is my vision for you. Every person that I train. Yeah. I train DNS, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, which is the body's normal developmental human movement system. And so if you're born with the ability and you maintain your central nervous system all the way through your life and you don't have some kind of event that causes, you know, joints and or muscles to deteriorate or degenerate, then ideally you should be able to do all of those normal human movements that you did when you were born and crawled and stood up and walked. Yeah. Being in fitness and being very well-versed in DNS, how does it look different than maybe like a physical therapist or chiropractor using DNS? So DNS exercise trainers utilize the DNS movements and positions to number one, Train ideal movement patterns, which is stability, centration, and then utilizing the transitions helps us to get that coordinated movement flow going. 
I do not work hands-on. I wouldn't use any of the, of the points. You know, I, I don't have any kind of training in hands-on. And so I then will get people in the DNS positions and you can challenge those positions with speed, load, anything that will bring greater capacity to that position. So I'm picturing like your queuing has to be so much more refined versus Man. being like just pushing on someone and being like, push here. You have to like really say something that connects with the person that's doing the exercise. Absolutely. And as a dancer, I had a really strong head start. I have a dancer's eye. I've been looking at human movement from you know the time I was five years old, trying to figure out how to do that movement in my body. Then the DNS has really keenly developed that sense. And then the cueing on top of that, which also I do a lot of training online and that helps me to hone that sense when I can only use words online. I can touch people in different places when we're together, just as like, put your shoulder down, those kinds of things. But it's also made me really, really creative because I have this template, which is the human developmental system, positions, movement patterns, and then I can add load. I can add, you know, different tempos. I can, you know, really just open up Pandora's box and do all kinds of fun stuff. And I think the perfect, like if someone's trying to visualize it, I think a perfect example is if they went to YouTube and typed in your name, Maggie Rintala, and put check, get up, check as in like Czech Republic, get up, check up. Yeah. And you would like totally gets like the visual down of what that looks like under load as well. Cause yeah. you're a kettlebell, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I had a kettlebell and that's kind of the purpose of the check get up is to have that load, which really approximates joints and it helps you figure out where your load goes and how it moves through your body. So you're not sort of putting a break in the chain of your movement system. And then I do have my own YouTube page also, which that weirdly is not on, but I think Hmm. that video belongs to someone else. I think that was recorded for like an article in like strength Uh, magazine or something, Yeah. but check get up. I do it now sometimes instead of the Turkish get up, like in classes and stuff, because I'm not good at the Turkish get up. (laughs) (laughs) I need a coach. I need a I, I do the check get up as like my movement more. So I'll do like, um, like six months supine into like a dead bug. And then I'll do the check get up just to, just to like warm up and get all my asymmetries worked out. The one one that the one part of it that I find really difficult is you're up to stand overhead and then you squat down with the kettlebell in one hand. I like, I have not mastered that. I, I'm, <laughs> if I did that, I'd probably drop the kettlebell on my head. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. The cool thing about doing that though and going all the way up is if you have a light kettlebell and you're not going to hurt yourself is that it really points out where we need to do the work. If I can't do that, I know, okay, this is, this is a mobility issue. This is something I need to work on. And that's one of the things I love most about DNS is not only does it show you, can it, dial in exactly the areas of weakness where we can add some support 
but it's also the perfect sort of modification regression, as we call it in fitness, because it takes you through how your body is supposed to go, how it's supposed to move, so you always know the step before this step in the human movement system is known. Yeah. So as you have two kids, right? Yes. I have two kids. What goes through your head when you see people who have young kids and you know the milestones that kids are supposed to hit, right? In those first two years. Mm -hmm. Like when you see someone in one of the carriers and they're facing forward and the kid's like three months old or the kid's sitting in one of those bumbos that like sits them up and the kid's kind of like heads like hanging down and the kid's like four months old. I internally want to scream and like send them like a DM, but it's, I, I, you know, I, I refrain, but I'm just wondering, am I the only woman who also knows DNS going through like this, like mental storm in my head? Like, don't do that to your kid. They're going to get hip dysplasia. (laughs) Right. This is what I tell myself when I see things like that. I say the body is resilient. (laughs) Because oh, that's, that's a good one. That's the op- that's optimistic view. <laughs> right. I I cannot go around. Just so you know, in Czech Republic, all of those things are outlawed because really? the Prague School has is is so well known, and they've done so much work, and they are so well respected because it is the truth of the human movement system that. In the Czech Republic, those things are not allowed to be sold because they can be, as you said, incredibly damaging. I don't know if that will ever happen here. We are a capitalist society, and that's part of how our system works is by selling things and marketing them. But I tell myself the human body is resilient. I have come through incredible things, not only in my body, but in my life. And I know that other people can as well. Yeah. How do you inspire your kids to like to move and stay active? I'm assuming that part of like radical authentic fitness, I'm sure has come out of inspiring them. Yeah. That's a that's a really good question. And um, I've seen your Instagram and you guys take like these like awesome like road trips, like hiking. I see mountains. I'm like, whoa, can I go on that vacation? <laughs> we do. It's, it is interesting because there's a little bit of, if you're going to be born in this family, you kind of don't have a chance. You know, we're not, we're not going on uh, sightseeing city vacations. We are going to the woods and you will be active. <laughs> that is the goal. So that's just how I live my life. Like you said, that's inspiring for kids. But also the, the next issue is we're entering into the phase of our kids' life where they're wanting to take more authority and kind of like a two-year-old saying no. You know they really like cheese, but they're just saying they don't want cheese because it's the one place that they can say, I'm taking a stand. So they're starting to take stands. And that's fine too, because that's, that's what I want everybody to do. Like take a stand. You don't have to stay there forever. And you've had the experiences that will either be something that you can 
call on later in your life, remembering how that felt to be on that mountaintop and to experience all of that. Or maybe you'll shift that experience into something different that works for you. So I want my kids to have lots of great experiences. And, you know, we do go to cities and we do do incredible things. We just walk all the time, everywhere. (laughs) What do you do for people who have like younger kids? So for example, I live in Brooklyn. My kid's four. All he wants to do is run. And it's like, okay, you can run to the next stop sign, but wait for me there. And then we'll, (laughs) you know, go. Yeah. (laughs) I've had an interesting evolution with training people with kids. I used to always train moms with their kids. And then I really started to see how much of a burden that was that they were trying to do so much at once. What I did with my own kids was when I needed to exercise, but couldn't take the time away from them to really focus on the movement that I just wanted to do, I would make my time with them the movement. So if that kid runs to the end, they have learned to stop. I can either run up to them or walking lunges, pick something that you like, and then we're going to do jump squats together or stay active in that way and all the ways to move. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I love it. One of my most popular videos on my own YouTube page is my son doing an airplane into a handstand. (laughs) What's an airplane? Where you lay on your back and your kid lays on your feet. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And they fly in an air. You maybe haven't gotten to that. Like, like acro yoga kind of like. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then he, and then he would like tip forward and I held his shoulders and he did like a full back bend and to stand up. Oh, awesome. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Fun (laughs) with kids. (laughs) So where can people find you? Because obviously. I have the book's going to come out. The course is going to come out. Where can people find it? Where can they find you? Instagram. Maggie Rintala is my Instagram. I have a personal trainer Facebook page and that's also Maggie Rintala personal trainer. I'm on YouTube as Maggie Rintala. And then my website is also Maggie Rintala. (laughs) Amazing. And so when it comes out in January, and this episode will come out in January, they will be able to find your course. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We are hoping to launch like mid-January. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and feeling like, well, I missed it, you probably haven't. It's okay. Yeah. Come on over. Let's yeah. uh, come radically authentic fit together. <laughs> I love it. Is there anything? Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to share with the audience or something? Like leave a yeah yeah. I do this because I love people. I want everyone to experience their fullest expression in this body. And I know that that can be done with great joy in the way that works, however you are in your body currently and wherever you hope to be in the future. So... I would tell everyone if they're not finding someone to work with who feels that way about them, 
I don't think any, any personal trainer who gets into this, I think they all should do it for the love of the people that they are working with. So that's how you should feel if you are in search of any kind of movement or fitness professional. I love it. Like your passion gets imparted onto the people you're working with. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Maggie, thank you so much for sharing all that. Our listeners will love it. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed my time. Yeah. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you wanna share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, Or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.